Do not touch the dial on your computer. Things are about to warp around you. Reality itself is fading away. No, I, I'm not a 60s drug anal person taking you on a trip. I'm Pastor Adrian, and, and Pastor Matt Turboss and I want to take you on a much more exciting trip. I, I know that many, I'm a big sci-fi buff, and many shows question reality and all kinds of things, but really... Today, we're going to get into the fundamentals of what your world is based on. You think your world is based on uh, fleshly material. And I mean, yeah, it is logically. But in a lot of ways, your worldview about that world or your ideas about that world actually reflect uh, your reality. Um, what you think about humans, what you think about babies, what you think about uh, life itself, whether you think society's fair or unfair, whatever you think, words ideas, concepts define your whole life. And all we're going to do today is get into what God's word says about how Christ is superior to all that. You know, folks, and then we'll get right into it. You know, today I find a de-emphasis on salvation. I think Christian circles are getting more into uh, debate and fighting this battle and that battle. But what's interesting to me is without Christ, everything falls apart. Whatever your viewpoint is, conservative, liberal, libertarian, whatever it is, Christ is the only foundation you're going to be secure on. And that's what the Bible says. So that's what Matt and I are going to get into today. Boy, that was a long explanation. <laughs> Matt, you want to open us up in prayer before I read the word? Yes. Uh, please join me in this prayer. This is Biblia Scola, by the way. <laughs> I might throw that in there. All right. Uh, please join me in prayer. Dearly Father, we uh, come to you as we do another episode of Biblia Scola. Lord, as we focus on uh, Colossians once again, we ask that you would uh, send your Holy Spirit to us as we seek to help those who are listening uh, understand this passage more, uh, that we would have uh, be able to uh, say the things we need to say clearly. Um, then we just end up having a good time in that our listeners... Uh, Come out of this uh, wiser, but wiser in the things of you. We just pray this in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, Matt. Well, today, folks, we're going to be looking at Colossians 2, 6 through 15. And, you know, today, I think book studies, a lot of people consider them dead. They're like, uh, they, they. I don't know that they're very popular, but the neat thing about a book study is an argument builds. And that's why Matt and I are taking the time to do Colossians. We hope you enjoy it. Let's dig into the word here. Colossians 2, this is the King's English. If you don't know, uh, that's slang for King James Version. I'm not King James only, but I do like the King James. All right, Colossians 2, 6 through 15. Let's hear God's word. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Praise the Lord. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Notice that emphasis. 4 verse 9. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also you are circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, 
buried with him in baptism, wherein you are raised with him, risen, sorry, risen with him, to the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Amen. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Uh, seriously, hallelujah. It's, it's and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. May the Lord add his blessing to his word today. All right, Matt. Well, scripture's been read. Who's going first today, sir? Um, why well, don't I go ahead and go first? I guess. Very good. <laughs> oh, dear. You can tell, listeners, that we're very organized about things. Oh, yes. Um, so, anyways, uh, we're, we're continuing in uh, Colossians. And uh, so far, I think this has been a very interesting discussion. And I think what we're seeing as we jump into this next section is, is Paul is now springboarding what he's built up into what he's going to talk about really for the rest of the letter. I think sometimes we forget that uh, not just Paul, but a lot of the writers of Scripture, they're not just throwing whatever they write on the wall and hoping it sounds good, but that there was a thought and a process to it. Um, and that even includes the book of Psalms, by the way. Um, yeah, actually, Matt, I want to say lately, and I mean, I've just, just been trying to obey the Bible and memorizing some scripture. Mm -hmm. And I have been surprised at doctrinal teaching in Psalms. In fact, I've been convicted by it uh, in very simple, seemingly simplistic passages. There yeah. are some really deep ideas. And really some of the answers I've been lacking as a Christian are spelled out there in black and white and relate to the, it's it's no, I, I I've been thinking about the same thing lately, how mm -hmm. I viewed the Psalms kind of as inspirational or uplifting or encouraging. And yeah. then I've made a big mistake by just seeing them kind of in that light, not intentionally, just kind of in that light. Well, it, it, it's kind of easy, not, not just the, the Psalms and Proverbs. Maybe we do it the most with, but I think in any passage, it's real easy. Uh, we're with like the Psalms. That's like the one type of, the, the one book that will open up, read a psalm, and kind of go on our day, right? Right. Um, that we forget that uh, there's a reason that there were 150 of them collected over probably thousands that could have been included, um, that they were collected in a specific order and everything, all guided by the Holy Spirit, and they're filled with just as much, as Paul says in Timothy, all the word of God is inspired. All of Amen. it is God breathed. Amen. Um, and, no, and, actually, it's funny you should mm -hmm. say that. Uh, Psalms 1, verses 1 and 2, ironically enough, I think sets the tone of almost, I, I agree with you. I mean, why why that But Why not um, Psalms 95? Why not Psalm 61? But no, Psalms 1, and if you look at Psalms 1, it is a very basic look at a godly and ungodly man. It really boils down to the relationship with God, actually. That's what it boils down to. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just, 
I, you're right. It sets because all of Psalms talks about what righteous and the wicked. It talks about this and that. So it defines itself before it launches into it. I, yeah. I think that I agree with you. I don't think that's a random happenstance that Psalms one, like why not Psalms a hundred, uh, make a joyful noise in the Lord. Yeah. While he lands. Well, why not that be first? Well, it's a great thought, but it doesn't set the tone for the entire book. I, yeah. I really think Psalms one does. Um. Well, we could talk more about Psalms because there's a lot of fascinating yeah, I guess that's things. That's way off topic. Um, but all, all of that to say that it, it, as Paul is continuing this this argument and continuing to write in the book of Colossians, he is doing it with a purpose. So, as we've discussed in previous sessions so far in Colossians, one of the main themes I think that has really been highlighted is the fact that. Christ is preeminent over all things. Uh, yeah, definitely mm-hmm. that. Uh, and, 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 and a part of that, because I, I don't think we should ever dismiss this, but a part of Christ's preeminence is also his deity. Jesus Absolutely. Christ is God, is Lord, as much as the Father, as much as the Holy Spirit. In the Trinity, they are all equal. Amen. Um, Unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. All men. Absolutely. Jesus Christ is absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so I think what he does with, with the beginning part of this is so. So he's talked about who Christ is. He's even already talked a little bit about what we have. But as he begins this next section and as he's going to continue throughout the book, he says, OK, I'm talking to believers. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, and notice that he's continuing to use not just Jesus, he's making clear he is the anointed one. He is making clear he is Lord, Kyrios. Uh, there, there's always kind of that debate of when the New Testament writers use Lord, how much is it uh, just in a sense of sovereign servant relationship, and how much should we be reminded of the uh, Old Testament usage uh, reflecting the name of Yahweh. Um, and I, I think oftentimes it's kind of a both and sort of thing. It's reminding us that he's sovereign, but it's also reminding us that he's God. Um, so we were reminded already what we have, um, that, that we're rooted, built up into him, established into the faith, we're taught, all of this great stuff. And I think part of what's going on, and he's going to talk about this, especially uh, between verses 8 and 15, what we have in Christ is all that we need. Um, and I think in many ways, the rest of this epistle is going to be a constant reminder of that. I'd like to break in here for a second, yeah. Matt. Now, and, and this isn't, don't take this as an attack. I don't mean it to be. Uh, in your notes, you have uh, on six and seven, you have continue to walk. You have, he is also tying together the importance of right doctrine, behavior, theology, and ethics that all help to shape who we are. And by, by the way, I agree with your statement. It's not a disagreement, but I've been mm-hmm. thinking about something lately. I want to bounce it off you while we're talking about this topic. Mm-hmm. I love the way you keep bringing up Christ here because that is clearly the emphasis. It is absolutely. I wonder if we're some Christians getting into trouble where the Ephesus church in Revelation 2 got in trouble is I wonder sometimes if people study theology not to get closer to Christ, but just as an empirical study. In other words, well, I'm a Christian, so I need to gain more knowledge. 
The Bible right. says knowledge puffeth up, love edifieth. Now, I'm not saying studying theology is wrong. I, I think that all theology is is organization of biblical truth. But I think if your motive is not to root yourself and ground yourself in Christ, in other words, if I want to prove that the Methodists are wrong or I want to prove mm -hmm. this or I want to prove that, I think what happens is I begin to shift away from Christ like the Ephesians. Mm -hmm. I begin to lack love, which I think is a struggle of strong doctrinal churches. They may not want to admit it, Sometimes it just people are like, there's something wrong with your church. They're like, hey, we're really strong doctrinally. Like, yeah, you, you're right, you are, but that's not it. There's something wrong here. It's they, they miss love. And I think that's why it brings up Thanksgiving. I mm -hmm. think if your doctrine and your study of the Bible, if you're studying the Bible so you can get closer to Jesus and live better for him, now again. That you're going to study Melchizedek along the way. You, you know, I mean, you're going to study things in scripture. But I think if your goal in life, I want to be closer to Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. Lord, show me something from scripture. I think you'll have the joy of the Lord. I think there'll be some Thanksgiving. I think you'll be sad sometimes. Don't get me wrong. And I think that's where some Christians mess up. They're so concerned about, uh, well, the kids, if they just do enough doctrine, they, they would yeah. follow the Lord. I, I don't think that that's true. I, I think that doctrine is good. Right doctrine is very important. Paul stresses that to Timothy. The whole reason in 1 Timothy 1, he left Timothy who was behind, was to literally tell people not to teach false doctrine. So mm -hmm. obviously there is doctrine. As your notes say, you can tell what it is. Um, Christians should be able to discern it. But I, I guess, believer, as you try to grow in Christ, I, I think don't make the mistake of reading the Bible every day to try to obey Christ. Read the Bible every day to try to get to know Christ. I, I think that that is a subtle mistake some believers make. And I, I think eventually it, Christianity becomes just a philosophy and not a living, vibrant relationship with the Savior. Anyway, what, what do you think about that? I, you know, I agree. Here, here's the thing. Um, and, and I don't know if our listeners have realized this or not, um, but, but I, 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 I like theology. Not going to deny that. But what? It, I had no idea. Right? Um. I think it's important. Uh, Adrian, who was at my ordination, probably remembers with a bit of a shudder how big my doctoral thesis was. No, um, I actually liked it. I expected it, man. I know who you are. I expect. I've been yeah. disappointed. <laughs> you, no, it was what mm -hmm. I expected. But but here's the thing. At the end of the day, if we do our focus on theology. We, we end up in, in a cold faith. I mean, amen. I, I see, I agree with that. I do. Um, you look at some, some of the past teachers of the church, you have the scholastic movement, and they were so concerned with certain aspects of theology. And they were asking questions like, how many angels can fit on the head of a, knee, uh, of a pen? Um, which seem absurd to us, but they must have made sense to them. Yeah, well, they had sense to them. them. Um, and 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 as much as I don't want to pick too much on the scholastics, because you'd be surprised at how many of their arguments we use to this day in in some of the uh, in, in certain debates, uh, such as uh, proof of God debates. Hmm. Um, but there was really a sense of, Hey, there's a problem here. Um, in Germany, when there, there, there was such a, a movement within Lutherism of, 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 you know, having good theology and whatnot, that there finally arose a group of people who we call the pietists who said, well, wait a minute here. 
theology is good and everything, but what about our faith? What about this active, vibrant faith that we're supposed to have? And the pietist movement kind of arose out of that. Um, theology is good, but it can't take center stage of, in the sense of, if you're reading the Bible to prove your theology, there's a problem there. And what yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I, I think theology should be an organic growth yeah. out of your own study of the Bible. I mean, some people are scared of theology. They actually think it's evil. Mm -hmm. Or they think that some Christians that hold different theology are heretics. Sometimes I recently found out that uh, one person is afraid of Calvinism and they, they think it's a cult. You know, well, I, <laughs> I, I hardly think that. But, you know, but that person's convinced. But what they mm -hmm. don't understand is people that have, whether someone's a five-pointer, a three-pointer, a paradoxer like me, straight-up Arminian, whatever they are, they've arrived at that conclusion by reading Bible passages, mm -hmm. thinking about what they mean, how they relate to each other, and yeah. drawing conclusions. And yeah. that's all theology is. I don't see how you can study the Bible without it. But I agree right. with you. If theology is just a means to an end. Uh, to, mm -hmm. We need to defend the faith. Uh, I, I don't know that we actually need to do that. I mean, I think yeah. I see that. What I mean is, yes, we, we should defend the faith, but I think we need to let the Lord speak through us. And I think we need to be seeking for his wisdom and not our own intelligence, our own wisdom, our own how smart we are, how many degrees we have. And I say right. that, that right now is going on to further himself in education. That's not bad. I'm not opposed to that. Someone recently asked me why my whole family right now is almost in college, but me. Adriana's thinking about it. And they asked uh, some parishioners, are you, are you going to go back to school? <laughs> not right now. I'm not. Um, but <laughs> but it doesn't mean that I I look down on school or it wouldn't be helpful in some ways. I guess I'm waxing all yeah. I agree well, with your point. It's my yeah. Here's the thing, because this is a good point. I, and I think, Paul, as we're talking about empty philosophy and whatnot, we should make a point. Um, school's great. But it's not the even with me wanting to go on, that's because that was with prayerful consideration and and it wasn't just a a sense of, well, I need to have something after my name, so to speak. Um, yeah, right. Like, yeah, a title. Right. But there are a lot of people, a lot of pastors that like to have that title or, you know, whatever. Um, and that's where that's kind of a problem. I think. Yes, I agree with that. I think it's very interesting that the two, two of the most important early church leaders were two opposites in that regard. Peter was a fisherman. I wouldn't call him dumb, but he wasn't educated like Paul was. And he uh, even admits that. Mm -hmm. and, and Paul was educated, really, in, in what his culture was, was an Ivy League type school. I mean, he trained at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the the head or at least one of the most important teachers within that certain branch of pharisaic judaism um yet they both still by the way needed to be retrained by christ needed to be reoriented um they both need yeah let me give you an example <laughs> here i so i've got a brother-in-law married to my sister joy and uh, I, I I think actually he's gone to some Bible college. I'm not sure all what he's done, but bottom line was uh, when I met him, he, all he had was, and all he had, I mean, this is fine. He had a high school education, um, you know, 
was not big in, in, in like letters and scholarly and all that stuff. My point for bringing this up is, you know, we talk about a lot of things in, in life and he talked, but when we got into the word, there was a passion and a sincere mm-hmm. wisdom that was not based on arrogance. It was just based on this was something he had spent some serious time studying, not to impress me, but because he really wanted to follow Christ. And it came out, it came out what he was saying. You could tell he wasn't like trying to show off. He wasn't trying to belittle me or, or, you know, it was just, it was just, you could tell he had a sincere love of God's word and he had become wiser. I, I had to sit there and think, wow, those are some good points. You know, it wasn't like I was sitting there going, oh man, these are some really basic ideas. I was like, huh, why, why was that? The Holy Spirit was working in his heart and life. He was, he was digging in the scripture, trying to live thereby, trying to find Christ. And he found Christ. Seek, you'll find. He found Christ. You know, that doesn't mean that, I mean, I think he went on to do some Bible college training, you know, it mm-hmm. just like you say, though, it's just uh, having a doctorate after your name. Or, or several doctors really doesn't matter unless that's what the Lord wants you to do. Then that's great. Right. Um, so, so here's the thing though. Uh, it, when we talk about Paul, uh, Paul wants us to continue our walk in Christ that, uh, and when I talked about the importance of right doctrine, behavior, theology, and ethics, none of that matters if the foundation isn't Jesus. Oh, Absolutely. Um, But if our foundation is Jesus, I think a lot of that will arise naturally. Because if Christ is our foundation and if we're seeking the word of God in our understanding of things, that is what's going to be helping us understand how we should behave, what our ethics should be, what our, that should be informing us in all of these areas. Um, Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that. You know, as I think back to verse eight, while Matt's talking, so what a difference between getting taken captive um, by a, uh, a a philosophy that is not of Christ. Uh, and, and people might say, well, good thing that hasn't happened to me. I, I'm not so sure right now our country is just being ripped apart by different philosophies, different schools of thought that have their own proponents of their own teachers. I'm going to say probably elements of truth in them. But I wonder, as a Christian, I mean, I think it's okay to stand up for what you believe. I think it's okay uh, in different ways. But I wonder, in some ways, I think we need to be careful not to get away from the simple gospel. I think mm-hmm. if we get away from the gospel, we're making a huge mistake. Because whatever secular philosophies are out there, they're ultimately vain and useless. Because people are still going to go to hell. And people are not. Here's the thing. All societies, you know, Sparta. Rome, Greece, eventually the United States have been corrupted. The world even sees this. The world will tell you that. I think it's sin. I think that's what the world cannot stave off, no matter what your philosophy, whether you want to hold to the founding fathers in our country or you want to go a different direction. Without Christ, sin will eventually destroy you. It, it, it doesn't matter. Myself, I'm a patriotic kind of guy and I, I love the country and stuff. Great. That's fantastic. But the United States, as wonderful as it is, I mean, without Christ, I mean, you are going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if we become a co- uh, a communist country, as some would like in our country right now, um, we will still be destroyed. You know, we will yeah. be destroyed in different ways. Without Christ, all culture just ultimately, I think, just falls into corruption and evil and sin. Yeah, I, I don't think they can help themselves. 
Well, I think that, I mean, history shows that. Um, but I think even the Bible is clear. I don't think we're going to see government work, a perfect form of government, until Christ rules. Yes. Um, but I think that's a major point of what Daniel's, well, I guess, the, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel, where you have all these world empires come, and at the end of the day, the rock smashes them all, and the rock, who is Christ, will reign forever. Um, now I believe in a literal millennium, and I think part of that is also to prove that Christ as ruler will show what real government will look like under God and all of that stuff, because up till now it's failed. Um, and that's why it's great to love our country. I, I have no problem with that. But at the end of the day, Christ remains king. God remains king not the president, whoever they may be, not your congressman or senator or political party or whatever. If you're identifying first as, well, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican over I'm a follower of Christ, there's an issue there. Huh. Yes, I would agree with that. And I say that, I mean, I've got political opinions. I'm not trying to be like, I just sit on a mountaintop and chant. <laughs> and there are things that make me angry sometimes in the news. And that's one thing I've been focusing on lately, too, is, do you know, uh, actually, uh, check this out real quick. I got to read this real quick. So one problem we're seeing in culture, see, see if this doesn't sound like today to you, Matt. Oh, did I actually put it in here? I got to go there. I'm, I'm looking at Titus uh, chapter three. Um, and... So like, okay, so let's say you get into one philosophy or the other. And, and again, I, I stress, I, I do have biases here. I do have opinions. It's not the purpose of this podcast to talk about them. And I mean, and, and praise the Lord. I, I just want to focus on Christ anyway. But so it, it tells you in verse one of Titus to be in mind of, of authority. In verse two, it says to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. That's interesting. Verse three, for we ourselves... Also, we're sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. <laughs> what a picture. I think NIV actually puts it much better. Um, but hating, uh, being hateful and hating one another. Mm. And people would say, oh, I don't hate anybody. Bible says if you're unsaved, oh, you do. You hate lots of people. And, and that's what's interesting to me. I wonder if, um, I wonder if we're not careful if we actually get tricked into hating people instead of praying for them and loving our enemy, yeah. that doesn't mean we need to be um, wimps or mm. we need to totally subvert. You know, I, you know, I don't know what the answer is because I know there are Christians that disagree with me ideologically that are trying to follow the Lord too. Yeah. And I just want, you know, but, but anyway, but ultimately I think that anger and hatred and malice is growing in culture. Both sides are beginning to hate each other. I mean, it's coming out in the open. Those pinheads, those SJWs, those right-wing bigots, you, you know, mm -hmm. it, it just, it's getting more and more and more hostile. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think if you notice, one of the things that happens, and, and so I'm going to be speaking from uh, to our direct Christian brothers, is sometimes I think we have it in our head. As long as I don't use the word hate, that doesn't mean I'm hating someone. Um, but we don't actually stop to think, well, what are our actions actually reflecting? What is our, um, 
are we willing to pray for them or do we in our prayer time uh, kind of grumble about it in, in a sense of we're told to pray for our leaders. You know, that, that's very biblical, I think. And when it's our political party we like, I think some people have an easy time praying. God lead our leaders. And then when it's not our political party that we like in power, we pray something along like, oh, God, give them wisdom. And, and we make this whole ordeal um, where we kind of grunt about it and, and almost say to ourselves and get them out of office as quick as possible. But at the end of the day, whoever's in office, as Romans says, is in office because God put them there. You know, I, I think, too, uh, going a little deeper, sometimes it's not just ideological lines. Sometimes yeah. that person is empowering sin. And I think that makes it harder for us as a believer to like them. Like, example, California saying people couldn't sing in church. I don't want to get into a whole discussion about it. But as a believer, I was pretty repulsed by that. I thought, okay, that's that's ridiculous. Uh, Como, when he uh, okayed abortion up to birth, I was like, whoa, <laughs> like this is evil. But you know what? I came up recently. So that how do I pray for someone who we might be being judged for as a state for, I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying for sure we are, I'm not a prophet, but I mean, we are, are leading the nation right now in killing children, at least in, in pushing that movement. And on the other hand, I thought, well, how would I want people to pray for me if I was the governor, if I was Mr. Como? Yeah. And I thought, well, I'd want people to pray I got saved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want people to pray. You know, if, if Paul said I was a blasphemer. He yeah. said I was a persecutor. I was injurious. You know, he said, but I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Um, Paul was highly educated, um, but he did it ignorantly. And so I guess what we need to pray, we do need to pray that God's righteousness does reign on earth. We do need to pray that our, our leaders make wise decisions. But I think we need to pray for some of these people as in we want the Lord to bring about good in their life. That's what yeah. I would want to be prayed for. If I was unsaved and I was, I was, Paul was an enemy of Christians. You can't get a big, he was mm -hmm. beating them up. He was throwing them in jail. Who knows what was happening to them? Yeah. You know, if I was a Christian, I would struggle to like Paul. I would really yeah. struggle to like Paul. And, and, and Ananias is like, Lord, are, are, do you know who this guy is? He's <laughs> yeah. like, my gracious, this is the biggest enemy we Christians have ever seen. Mr. Como has not thrown pastors in jail and beat the tar out of this yet. You, you know, that hasn't mm -hmm. happened. Maybe it never, I, I don't think it will necessarily. Okay. I'm not trying to imply, yeah, and that's going to happen tomorrow. I just, yeah, he hasn't gone to the extent Paul has. And so I just, I mean, it is interesting. How do you pray? Some people bring up the Psalms and how people pray against their enemies. And I, I think that's true that we do need to turn over injustice to God and say, God, would you make this right? Uh, you know, but I mm -hmm. think in that, leaving it to God, I don't know. Then, then we have the love your enemy, bless them that curse you, do good them that hate you, pray for them to spitefully use you. Uh, you know, that needs to be balanced with other scriptures, yeah. but it, it needs to be in there somewhere. And if I hate Governor Como, um, then I'm wrong. And mm -hmm. if you're a Democrat and you love him and you hate Trump, well, I, I'd have to say to you, you're, you're wrong too. You're not wrong for maybe disliking some things about another person. That I mean, and you may, as a fellow Christian, say, "Well, okay, but what about this or what about that?" You right. know, we could have a a discussion about you know the morality of this, that, or the other thing. But I think once we begin to hate people, I I just that's what the devil is. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think you can still stand up to people and not hate them. 
Oh, I think yeah. there's a difference in those two extremes, you know? Yeah. Um. Okay. And look, sometimes God's taking the biggest enemies. Like Nebuchadnezzar was not necessarily a friend of God's. Oh, right. And through Daniel and his three friends, he becomes a friend. But it was a rocky road. Yeah. I mean, he literally tried to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel, Michelle, and Azariah. He literally <laughs> tried to kill them. Dramatically. And, yeah. And I think if you also stop and think about it, sometimes we read those three stories as if they're happening one after the other. But that was a long period of time, too. Um, I, I think uh, when we think about praying for our enemies or, or even especially praying for loved ones that we want to be saved, we have it in our head. We pray it's got to happen. But scripture shows a lot of times where it's a longer process than we realize. And I think, too, there's some confusion. I don't know what the line is. But loving your enemies isn't the defense of sin. Right. And, and I think that's something that the world gets confused about. Oh, you think I'm sinning, so you hate me. No. And, and the problem is some worldly people have tied their whole identity to a certain sin. So they don't like mm -hmm. us very much. Um, but, you know, so they, you know, so it's a balance, you know. And it's like, well, how do you love people and yet be firm? And then how do you love a Christian who is clearly out of fellowship with God mm -hmm. and unrepentantly so, and doesn't care. You, you know what I yeah. mean? I mean, you're not even supposed to eat with them. So, you know, these are things I think about sometimes, but I think that even in that case, you know, if I am angry at one of my children as they're growing up or hopefully now as an adult, I, I would hope, and I do that. I would always love my children. Do you understand? Mm, yeah. Even if there's a separation or disagreement, not just my kids as a coach, even if a student gets really mad at me and says a bunch of hurtful things, mm -hmm. um, I should still, as a Christian, love that student and not harbor those words in my heart and cherish them. Right. And throw them back in that student's face. I, I don't think that, I don't know. I just think that that's where we begin to make mistakes. The world hurts us. And so we hate back. Yeah. We hope that bad things happen to that person. We hope they fail. Mm hmm. I mean, that's hard. And sometimes, too, and sometimes, too, we take suits simplest. No, okay, sorry, go ahead. You're no, 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 you're, you're fine. I was just going to say that that's, uh, that's a reflection of our flesh, um, which is, is to tie this so that we're tying this all around, guys. Paul talks about, you know, within verse 13, the um, we're dead in uh, trespasses, the uncircumcision of our flesh the and and uh all of that stuff is that's putting off the body that that's mm -hmm. a process sometimes mm -hmm. um i think we we as christians so often want to be like okay i'm saved and everything's perfect and i'm going to be the most perfect person ever and put no and and, and kind of leave it there um and then wonder why things aren't the way they should be, not realizing that God works through a process sometimes and 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 we should be engaging God that but also realizing that there are times where we have to realize that it is God working through us and we have to let go and let God work. And, you know, too, I think that um I think a problem a lot of Christians are facing today, and, and what you said is true. Some Christians want to be the nth Christian, and they and some of them feel they've obtained that or that they're pretty good. 
And, and I think we have an opposite problem growing in America, though. We have Christians, uh, and, and this is mm-hmm. my opinion, just give me a second to develop this thought. I mean, it's going to, so up until recently, I thought the church of Laodicea in Revelation 6 was the most worthless church ever and was just horrible. But in saying those seven churches, I'm not so sure. They have a problem. Their problem, they have a lack of passion. Why do they have a lack of passion? Well, that's a good question. We can get into that. But the bottom line is, I wonder if a big problem in Christianity today is believers deep in their heart think they're never going to measure up. They're never going to really be a good Christian. They're never going to be a Philadelphia church that's unattainable. They're never going to be the Apostle Paul. And I think that's why people say that, well, I'm, I'm not the Apostle Paul or, you, you know, our church is just kind of, we just kind of limp along and we're not really. And I wonder if they miss the fact that actually, and I think in some ways too, the problem Laodicea has is it's given up. It looks, it's it's not worldly like Pergamum and Thyatira. It's not mm-hmm. out there having booze parties and all that. That's not what it's doing. It's not super worldly. It is worldly to an extent, but it's not super worldly. I think their problem is they've inside, deep down, they've given up. And that's why they don't pray very much. And that's why they don't attend church very often. Where the Ephesus church, man, they're the ones in the church every day. I mean, they go to church every day if they could. The Laodicean Christians barely ever make it in the door, but it's because secretly they've given up that God could really use them and that they really matter. And it, I, I don't know. Everyone's so mad and confused. I'm just going to try to muddle along and, you know, hopefully God takes me to heaven someday. Yeah. And, and I think that they miss that Jesus wants to do a work through us. And mm-hmm. their confusion is, is they are not building the relationship with Christ. They've given up on what the Lord can do in their life. It's like, God's not going to do anything for me. I'm too worthless of a Christian. I'm just going to have to muddle through. I'll never measure up anyway. And I think that's a big mistake the Laodiceans made. They lack passion. I think they lack passion for other reasons. Mm -hmm. They lack passion. And I think that's a big thing in our churches today. Look at Christians today. A lot of us, I struggle with it too. We lack passion. We do. We yeah. lack passion. We lack a desire for God's house. We lack a desire to read his word, desire to pray. We all know that. And yet some of us will look at earlier church. And, and by the way, uh, I, the church of God loved the church of Ephesus and God loved the church of Laodicea. That's been a revelation too. God loved both these churches uh, very much. That's been a revelation too. And we, we look at them and we're like, oh man, these people, they were so dedicated. Well, not to be critical, it's great to be dedicated to something, but there are Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons that are dedicated to their religion too. Mm-hmm. Uh, dedication and passion does not mean that you have a relationship with Christ or even, even if you're saved, that you're walking with him closely. And that's what this passage is so good about. You can get ensnared even in Christendom into different philosophies. I'm going to save the country. I'm going to, I'm going to do social justice or uh, our people have been doing churches wrong. We're going to do things totally differently or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think the only real question is, am I deepening my relationship with Christ? And am I getting, am I, when I read the Bible, am I trying to obey him? Am I trying to get to know him? And does it matter? And am I praying for my elected leaders? I don't know. It's just, so it's just a burden in my heart too. I agree with you. Some believers think they've arrived and other believers think they'll never measure up. And I think the problem is both the believer that thinks they've arrived and the believer that's not measured up, they have a fundamental misunderstanding of Christ. Yeah. The believer that's arrived does not understand that Christ is everything and that they are nothing. The believer that thinks they'll never arrive doesn't understand they're actually in a great position for Christ to do something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're actually in a fan. But the problem is, since they've given up on Christ, they live service to him, but they indulge in the, the things of this life because they just think that their Christianity doesn't really matter anyway. Well, I've waxed eloquent, sorry. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, 
Why don't you take us into verse 8? Because that all relates to verse 8, I think. Oh, sorry. Hang on. I got to. No, you're okay. About the philo- empty philosophy. We've talked about oh. being rooted in Christ. Let's talk about that philosophy and stuff. All right. So th- this is a. Uh... <laughs> This is a fun verse. Uh, I know Adrian already read it in the King James, but let me go ahead and just read it in the English Standard Version as well. Uh, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Um, I think before any other discussion, the main thing that we're seeing here in this verse is that Paul is comparing this empty philosophy, this deceit, the elemental uh, elements and traditions, they're all on one side and Christ is on the other side. I couldn't agree more. That is exactly the thrust of the passage. There Mm -hmm. is no doubt. Um, And notice it says uh, empty. How did ESV put it? I'm sorry. I don't know if ESV said empty. Yeah, ESV said empty. Yeah, it's just, it's so weird, isn't it? Now, here is the thing right off the bat. Now, NIV kind of, in my opinion, Matt, maybe you say, oh, Adrian, you misunderstood that, seems to link the philosophy and uh, the vain deceit uh, or whatever, how, however they put it. In other words, they put the chi or the and in emphasis of philosophy. But I noticed a lot of the other translations don't do that. And by the way, I don't have a problem with NIV, so I'm not picking on it. I think maybe the NIV people are trying to be overly helpful. I think that um an empty philosophy what's up oh sorry i was i just pulled up the niv to read and so i saw what you were saying right and i think well why don't you read it read the beginning of that so people can see what i'm talking about uh see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy do you notice how hollow and deceptive and then you have philosophy and, and if i'm understanding things right uh, the, in English language, NIV is implying that hollow and deceptive are both relating to the philosophy. And maybe this is me getting too nitpicky here. But I think the other translations do a better job. I, I'm referring to King's English here, but there are other translations that do this too. So this isn't me, oh, only the King James. No, no, a lot of the translations separate the two ideas. So King James says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. And maybe I'm making too much of nothing. Matt, you can disagree here. But I think that, so I think mankind, all philosophy is, Matt, you can disagree here too if you want. I boil it down to basically wisdom. The dictionary will give you a lot of complicated definitions of it. But in my opinion, philosophy is how do I organize knowledge of the world around me? How do I find some kind of unifying principle or what does life mean? What does, yeah, what does all this information mean? We talk about, well, my philosophy is a coach in basketball. What do we mean? How do I apply this game of basketball to an organized way so that students learn how to become basketball players? So I think you you can boil down philosophy to wisdom or understanding what to do with knowledge. Do you think that's too simplistic or do you think that's fair? No, I think you're good on that. Okay. So my only point is, and you're welcome to disagree, is I think philosophy, I think all humans are trying to figure out what life is all about. I do. I think we all, I don't care whether they say they're a nihilist or I don't care, but everybody does. I mean, to some extent, everyone has a philosophy. They may not realize it, but they're living their life based on some kind of principles of some sort. Um, And so when it says 
spoil you through philosophy or take you captive. And I, I really think King James, that old English spoil is out of date. I really think capture is a better term there. Although spoil, I understand what they're saying through philosophy and vain deceit. I wonder if, so here, here's the problem. So you're looking at life and you're trying to understand it. And so you're trying to build a unifying principle. You're trying to build ways to run your life. But here's your, here's your issue. You're a sinner. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. a sinner. And you have deception, whether through demonic forces or through your own sinful heart. You have glaring problems in how you live your life. And so as you're studying the world around you, trying to come up with this philosophy, the problem is you've got major deception, either intentionally or unintentionally mixed into that philosophy. That's my opinion. I don't know that it's fair. Maybe that's an over, I mean, maybe. So in other words, what I'm saying is a person may even sincerely be trying to build a philosophy. I've got to believe some people are sincerely trying to build philosophy out there. I can't believe that. In other words, not everyone's Jim Jones or a cult leader. Now, if you think you have the truth, you try to spread that philosophy to other people. Do you see Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Whether you're sincere or whether you're a cult leader, you're still trying to get people to adhere to your philosophy because you think you've really figured something out. You're like, man, if you understand my philosophy of running a business, you'll make triple the money you make now. Or if you understand my philosophy of how to get a book in print, you'll, well, so in other words, you're saying, I mean, if you just understand what I'm telling you, right. I think the problem is with human philosophy, as you study your world, sin is a major factor, not understanding God in sin. I think whether intentionally or unintentionally destroys, no matter how noble your philosophy is, it ultimately totally ruins it. And ultimately, since it's not based on God's word, it's really empty anyway. In other words, it's not going to survive this life. What do you think? Do you think I'm right? Or do you think, well, Adrian, actually, I don't know. That I, 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 you know, I think we are, you are right. Um, to use maybe more modern terms, we often talk about what our worldview is. Um, sure. And if our worldview is one that is is more according to human tradition and, and human philosophies and and all of this stuff, where even if we say we're Christian, uh, everything that we we put in our minds and and you know this comes from when we talk about philosophy. Sometimes I think we have it in our head just Plato, old marble statues of these people saying these really wise things and those are philosophers and, and oh, that doesn't affect me, you know, kind of mentality. But if you watch enough popular entertainment, read enough popular books, uh, play video games, uh, you're going to get their philosophy to you. Um, one of the easiest examples always is the matrix. Uh, the idea that uh, this, the, the, the world we're in is not, a real world is a philosophical statement. Um, and when I was in high school and, and the matrix came out, I mean, all my friends are talking about, do you really think this is the real world? And, and, you know, stuff like that um, because it affected them. Um, and, and, and we can look at other different uh, popular medium to see that sort of stuff. But I, I really think, we, we so often don't realize that as Paul is talking about all of these things that we are bombarded by them on a daily basis. There's a reason why he's saying this stuff is all on one hand and Christ is on the other hand. 
Yeah, he's not like, so there's some value to this. I mean, he really isn't. Um, and, and look at look at the and I, I, I put this in my notes. So Matt, Matt's aware that I'm going to say this. But uh, in Matthew seven, it talks about the wise man that built his house on a rock, which I believe clearly represents Christ. Uh, I believe it's Psalm 61 that says um, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is. Uh, uh, yeah, the rock. Um, yeah, the rock that is higher than I. And I think that's Christ. I, I don't think that, mm-hmm. and then then you got the sand, and it just everything you're trying to do blows away. It's not like it's there's a middle ground, you know, like yeah. okay, but there's a third option, and it's really good. And I want to say, when I first became a pastor, I was overwhelmed with the problems in the ministry, and I immediately wanted more training, especially in secular disciplines. And that's not to say that training in secular disciplines is necessarily evil, but it is it, if you. If you think that Christ and the Bible are insufficient, I am sorry. And I, I know some people right now, well, Adrian, human knowledge. I, I understand that. But in Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, how do you become a good pastor? Timothy, uh, Paul is very clear about it. He starts out with demonic teachings that have uh, that have uh, infiltrated his culture. By the way, they've also begun to infiltrate our culture today as well. Things that unsafe philosophers in our culture hold um, – that are just absolute evil are doctrines of demons. And then how do you resist that things? Paul's like, Timothy, what you need to do is devote yourself to the Bible. This is a mm-hmm. guy who is college oriented. This is a yeah. guy who is highly educated. He's like, Timothy, you want to really be a good pastor, focus on the word. But I've had people take shots against the pastors. Like, I wish pastors wouldn't do this. I wish pastors wouldn't do that. And I remember even as a new pastor, I thought maybe I should get a degree in counseling. Maybe I should get a degree in philosophy because I was convinced that I was not sufficient for the task. And as I get older, again, I'm not saying that if you as a pastor have a degree in counseling, that's fantastic. It's not wrong to study the world around you. Philosophy, psychology might draw wrong conclusions. It might even do wrong studies. But doing empirical studies of human behavior is not wrong. And knowing that information is not evil. Um, but um, but I'm letting the cat out of the bag because let's go to the next part of the verse because that's what I, I want to talk about that. So go ahead. Take us to the next part of the verse, Matt. Uh, the elemental. No, the whole, the, the philosophy. Go ahead. There's two Sorry. things there. No, you're all right. Go ahead. I don't, why well, don't. You go ahead and take us to the next since you have an idea of what you want to do. All right. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Um, now, Matt and I have a disagreement on rudiments of the world. Well, let's talk about tradition of men first. Matt, what's your thoughts on the tradition of men? Now? Um, you know, Paul is probably, I think, coming a little bit out of a Jewish background here, but... Um, you know, they had a lot of traditions within his particular brand of Judaism, but we ourselves have a whole lot of traditions. I, I've noticed the, the longer I'm in the ministry, the more times that I see we do something and someone asks, why do we do it? And the response is, well, because that's what we do. You know, there's no... Uh, Biblical reason per se, it's just that's the traditions of men. Or even um, they'll come up with an explanation for it. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? And it's like, mm-hmm. it's not a biblical thing. It's like some kind of, oh, we do this because of, 
you know, and you're like, you know, I don't know that that necessarily means that it's wrong to do it a different way. Right. Uh, Well, so, so in a recent situation, um, we started to do one, one more contemporary song at my church services. Um, And, and so we're a poor church, so we don't have a fancy overhead projector or anything, but uh, another pastor about a year or two ago gave us a, a bigger size TV. Um, so I, I set that up so that the music could be played off that and viewed. And we had an older gentleman at the church. He doesn't like it because in part he has an idea. Okay. The, the, uh, where the pastor stands and all that should look free of space. Uh, it, it's his tradition of how things should look. It's not that he's per se wrong, but it's not per se that he's right. It's just more that he's concerned about it in a tradition sense than it is other things. Um, yeah, I've gotten this actually when I do plays. Sometimes in the past I've had violence in plays, and I've had people call me on that and say, I don't think that should be in church. Now, we're, folks, to be clear, we're talking about Disney 1970s, 1980s violence levels sometimes. We're, we're not talking about graphic. Um, when I was much younger, there was it was a little more graphic sometimes. But again, there was still a theological point behind it. But my point is, is sometimes even people complain, just the fact that there was a gun in the play. It doesn't matter what the context was. And mm-hmm. my point to them sometimes was, do you watch these things in your own home? Do you watch movies in your home? Well, yes. And sometimes I'll say, do you watch rated R movies in your home? And I'm not making a judgment call one way or the other, but I'm making a point here. Yes. And I'm like, well, then I, I, I think that something as family friendly as a Disney movie from the 1980s, it's probably okay if we do it in church. Yeah. And my point is not to put them down or to, to invalidate their thinking. But as you say, there's no scriptural idea. In fact, if we were going to act out Bible stories, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that I'd want to actually do the tent peg literally to the guy's head, even if I could make it look real. <laughs> but you have to admit right. there might be sword combat in there. Joab's always mm-hmm. stabbing people beyond the fifth rib. He's really good at that. You, you right. Know, it depends on what part of the Bible you're doing, mind you, but there's violence mm-hmm. in the Bible, you know? So I, I guess yeah. I just, again, so you run into a tradition of, well, so I don't think, I think in church, these kind of things can't happen. I'm like, but these kind of things happen in your home and way beyond what's you know, way beyond this, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. So what makes it okay to do that in your home, uh, especially with a secular moral behind it, but in church, you know, I don't know. And a lot of times people go, you know what, you're right. You know, but that doesn't mean I'm right. I mean, if you as a listener like, oh, he's wrong about that. Well, like Matt said, it's just, it's a tradition. Some people Mm -hmm. might even say you shouldn't do drama at all in church. You know, what does that have to do with a worship service? You know, so, you know, I understand. And um, so anyway, like you say, we have traditions and then they become worship or, well, that's just the way we do it, you know? Yeah. Um. It's it's interesting because um, the makeup of my church now kind of has a people from a few different backgrounds. I've got some former Lutherans, some former Catholics, some former this and that in my church. Wow, that's quite the mix. Um, yeah, and and it's interesting. But so sometimes we talk about okay, this is how their faith tradition did, did something versus this is how we're doing something. And I I even say sometimes you know the way we're doing kind of our order of service that's even different from the way i grew up 
Um, but it's the way that I kind of, when I came to Prattsburg, this is how they've done it. We've tweaked it a little bit. Um, but it is interesting to hear the things that of, well, this is what was always expected or that was always expected. Um, and they ask, well, why do we do A, B, C, or D? And so you, you kind of sometimes stop and think, and why do we do this? And you know, that I think that's a good thing to do. No matter what your church looks like, I think it's healthy to say, okay, why do we have a portion of the service in which we're singing? Now, I think there's scriptural reasons for that. Go ahead, and, and you can find them. Uh, why do we have a? Why do we do communion once a year, four times a year, every month, maybe every week? You know that it's not bad to take a step back and and and, and look at what we do on a regular basis. Do you do scripture reading? Do you not do scripture reading? Is there a biblical basis for it? Is there a, a, a reason that you can give that it helps in some ways? Is it something that's left over from the 1940s and maybe should be laid aside? Well, let's um, even like, let's take Sunday school for a second. And I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. you throw out Sunday school, so don't, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But Sunday school, I believe, you can correct me, came out of the children and culture were not being educated. And so the church, using the Bible, mind you, uh, mm-hmm. tried to take a little time on Sunday to give them a, a functional education of some sort so they could be better Christians. Um, and obviously, that's not what we're doing in Sunday school today. We're not trying to teach the ABCs in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. You know, at least I we don't anyway. I don't know. What <laughs> it, you know? Right. We don't have, um, you know, A is for Adam up on the wall. <laughs> you know, maybe we should, right. but we don't. Um. But that's a good point. Uh, Sunday school, I, I think there's a lot of good to it, but is there a scriptural? I don't think you can find in the Bible, thou shalt do Sunday school. Uh-huh. No, and that's not to say that you can't. You know, I right. don't think, Matt, and I want to be clear, we're not saying you can't, but some people, it's like, you know, there's some African churches, they just have church from like 7 a.m. to 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You know what I mean? Mm. That's, uh, and that was one missionary shared that with me. And they don't care when you get there sometimes. He was all stressed out. But they have church. Hmm. It just, it's just a whole different idea. Right. You know, it's not how we do things. But mm. you know, that's how they do things, you know. Um, can you imagine? So we're going to have to start church at 8. We're going to get done about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. People are like, what? <laughs> what are we yeah. doing? Oh, yeah. We're just going to worship God the whole time. <laughs> you know? But, you know, I'm on the other hand. Hours. What an amazing that that there are some people that are like, yeah, I can't wait to go to something like that. Hmm. Um, you know, there are some times that I get done with a sermon and it, it's gone over an hour mark. And and, I, you know, I, I always wonder, did they get bored? Do they still want to be here? Um, and it's not that my people are saying anything mean or nasty. I just wonder that. I mean, I've been a part of a service where the pastor says some really great stuff, but then I start looking at the clock because, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, a guy fell asleep during Paul's service in the Bible and died. Yeah. It's interesting to me that Paul raises from the dead, but he doesn't rebuke him. You, you know, yeah. I, I don't know that the guy fell asleep because he didn't want to hear the word. I think just human mm-hmm. flesh got away there, yeah. you know. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you, kiddies. You go to sleep in church, God might kill you. 
<laughs> oh dear. And it's biblical. No, I, I, I should be nightmare on. nightmare stuff to tell kids along yeah. with yeah. bears eating kids. Um oh dear. Well, if you criticize the pastor, a bear might eat you. Yes, if especially if the pastor's bald. If he's bald, it's double. That really works. And if a pastor tells you to punch him in the face, you better punch him in the face immediately. Bad (laughs) things follow. Yeah. You know, what's funny too is, you know, we're we're joking about Mm -hmm. prophets in the old Testament, but even that, you know, you and I aren't really prophets. You know, that interesting. And there's a whole debate about like, I've had Christians talk about philosophy. They're like, they don't like it sometimes that I've done like a youth group event in the church. Not that Mm -hmm. we were less likely to do that. But they're like, I think this is the temple of God. Well, that's an interesting perspective. I understand where they where they come up with that. Right. But I'm like, I, I'm not sure that you're right, though, in the New Testament context. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. And like you say, it boils down to tradition. What do you yeah. expect to happen? Um, well, it's like um, sometimes, I don't know if you still encounter this much, but every now someone will say, well, I've got to go do something on Sunday. And and someone will usually more joking than anything. Well, it's the Lord's day. You shouldn't be working or doing stuff. Um, and there's a lot of good reasons behind that, but that's more of a Jewish Sabbath understanding of no work or whatever than it is per se a New Testament understanding. Wow, I don't think we should wander into that one. <laughs> 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 but man, you know, actually, it would be interesting for me and you to talk about Sabbath and Sunday. And if you, that'd be interesting, an interesting thing. You know, I think too here, we Christians are susceptible to human tradition, but I think our entire world is too. Like, yeah, whether you're opposed to the country or not, not even America, Argentina, Russia, China, whatever country you want to throw in here, it got there by certain traditions. It did. I don't care if you don't like those Mm -hmm. traditions. You do like those traditions. You think that those were sinful. You think they were great. Um, And it leads Matt and me to a point where we disagree on it. Maybe where we're going to eventually end the podcast. I'm not sure. But Matt and I have a difference of opinion. And it's not a strong difference. And what I mean by that is I can see – this isn't me kissing up to Matt. I can see why Matt is saying what he's saying. And I admit it's a real possibility, especially if you read the very text I read mentions principalities and angels and all sorts of things constantly. That would be a good argument in my humble Mm -hmm. opinion for Matt's look at this. So translations render this differently. And by the way, just to be fair, I did not come to my viewpoint about this. Maybe I'll change it in the next few weeks, but I did not come to it because, well, the King James says this, so that's the way it goes. I did look at both. I thought about uh, New American Standard King James versus NLT, NIV. And so the crux of the matter is, what is the Bible saying when it says, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ? The rudiments of the world. Now, Matt, several translations translate that differently, correct? Yeah. um, When I looked into this, uh, they acted like this is one of the more disputed and it's two words, one of the more disputed parts of Colossians. Um, what is meant by elemental spirits or uh, the King James, he said, was rudimentary, ele- uh, 
Yeah, the King James says rudiment, uh, rudiments of the world. New American Standard, mm-hmm. I believe, uh, says, uh, oh, you know what? Do I have it here? I don't. Let's just see if I got it on Bible Hub. I don't have Bible Hub up anymore. I, I think it was elementary uh, in the idea. Yeah. So, folks, and, and Matt, actually, I want Matt to go into why he thinks the way he does, because there's some good points he makes. So the question is, is this talking about demonic elements or is this talking about uh, just basic worldly teaching, basic ideas, worldly mm-hmm. concepts. Before Matt dives into his, let me really quick uh, give you uh, a reason why I think the King James or New American Standard um, uh, basically uh, is correct here. And then Matt's going to tell us why he thinks that this is actually talking about de- demons. I will say in my view, I think demons are certainly a part of it, but I don't think that's all of it. Do a real quick illustration. Batman. You might say, what does Batman have to do with this? Well, Batman's a pretty famous person, so I, I, I realize he's not real. So I, I, I'm imagining everybody in the audience at least has an idea who Bruce Wayne Batman is. You, you at least have some kind of idea. So I use him. Batman in the 80s beat up criminals, right? Uh, because of something criminals did to him. And for years was seen as a hero, a person who... Uh, went out in the night and fought criminals and brought them to justice. With the most recent Batman movie, I listened to a discussion on it a little bit. I don't remember who or what the discussion was. But the idea was, an idea behind the movie was this. Maybe it was DC fandom. I don't remember. They're like, look, it's kind of problematic to have a white, I don't know if they used white, to be fair, but a rich guy beating up criminals for the problem of systemic uh, poverty and, and things like that. Uh, like, and so my only point is not to get into a huge discussion of whether a traditional hero or the, the SJW hero is correct. My only point is that, so beyond tradition, like Batman has a tradition. He's been around a long time in our culture. You see what I'm saying? I mean, you know, no one's mm-hmm. going to argue that Batman in the eighties beat up criminals uh, in the comic books and movies. It looks like what the new movie is trying to show is that Batman himself is complicit in this because he's a rich guy. He's part of the system. And I haven't seen the movie. So what? I don't know if that's true or not. That's what the commentator made it sound like. My only point is I think sometimes it's not just human tradition. It's also your reaction to that tradition. You either have a positive or negative reaction to tradition or a middle of the road. So example, like I grew up in a church. So like they do X. And I think that's great. And so I, I, I'm not only model it, but I try to defend it in the future. Or I think it's terrible. And so I'm like, man, I, I really think my my church, it was a great church, good people. I really think they made a mistake on this. We're in the middle of the road. I'm like, I don't know if I really care about it one way or the other. Let's let's see. Uh, you know, I don't I don't want to get too much into it because Matt's got some great reasons why he thinks this is directly talking about demonic entities, not just worldly basic thought. So Matt, why don't you take us into why do you think this is demonic entities? Um, so I I, I think um that Paul is in in speaking to the Colossians is dealing with really elements of both Gentile and Jewish belief systems that were around at the time, which looked at uh, how there are certain times where the basic elements. Uh, which in their mind was earth, air, fire, and water, were seen not only as foundational components, but were also at times uh, regarded as personal forces. And within Judaism, they oftentimes uh, 
even extended that onto the angels. And so you would have certain angels. And if you're curious, um, you only have to look at works like Jubilees and First Enoch, in which you see that there are angels who are the angels of earth, the angels of fire, the angel over water, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and that a lot of these same angels uh, who were, were part of that foundational thing were also within Judaism because they had grown to have such a belief in the transcendence of God that they didn't even want God directly giving the law, but that he gave it through an angel. We're in the process of giving the law. So, quick pause. Oh. I know what Matt means mm -hmm. here. So when Matt quotes Enoch, and I forget what the other book you quoted, Matt is not suggesting that these are scripture. He is suggest at least I, I, I'm pretty sure I know that. I, yeah. They're not scripture. He is merely using them as historical reference to what people are thinking in that time period, especially Judaism. So I just wanted to make that clear. Yes. If you were confused, Matt's not attempting to use this as a scriptural basis. He's merely trying to show the thought. Pro he, he is wisely mm -hmm. trying to bolster his argument, showing you some of the thoughts of the time period. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, that's exactly what I mean. Um, now, depending on how Gentile or Jewish the Colossian audience was, and I, I think it was probably mixed, but predominantly Gentile, you still had a lot of people that, there was, I think, in their minds, kind of a sense of of worship among these things um, and, and, and the basicness of them building everything up. But I think he's contrasting that with Christ, who he's already in the previous section made it clear that we are created by Christ and through Christ and are held together by Christ, that we don't need any other uh, spiritual force, spiritual element, uh, because all that we have is already given to us through Christ. Um, so I think part of what this is, is just Paul continuing to build his argument of the preeminence and importance of Christ. Oh, are you? Is that what you wanted to say? I mean, I, well, I was thought I was yeah, interrupting. I didn't want to break your train of thought, so I don't mean that. No, to no, no, or anything. Okay, so that's no, no, that's so. After hearing me, and I've heard you. I mean, and again, you don't have to kiss up to me. Say, Aiden, I love you. I still think you're dead wrong on that. Uh, what, what do you think? Well, I think I don't think you you're, you're off the mark. I don't agree with you per se, but. It's not a hill I'm going to die on, yeah, and this and, is a disputed way, passage. Me neither. And let me let me do throw a bone uh, Matt's way to his viewpoint. And I think another commentator brought this up too. But it's something I certainly I it may not sound like it, but I I think demons have a huge impact in our world. So I don't want to try to minimize that or try to seem like I'm not. Mm -hmm. So in First Timothy um, four one through five, it literally says there are doctrines of demons pervading a culture. That means that demons are teaching systematic information. So, you know, that, that's pretty, mm -hmm. that's a pretty wild thought, you know, that demons not only tempt people, not only, but are literally communicating, not just little bits like, Oh, you should go steal this from Billy, or you should go hit Susie or whatever. And those things are wrong, by the way, I'm not trying to make light of those things, but they're also communicating bigger bits of truth. Like, like whole philosophies to people. So, you know, 
certainly there is some other scriptural evidence for this. And again, I have to admit, even though I still kind of think I'm right here, that it does in context of the passage, we do return a lot to angelic forces and, and even spiritual forces throughout the text. We, we, we go back to that uh, just in chapter two. So, I mean, that would, yeah. that is an interesting thought that there are, um, you know, that's acknowledging the fact that, uh, in these twisted philosophies, certainly Satan would be involved in them, you know, obviously, yeah. obviously, but I guess I view it um, more as a sub point that Satan's there. Mm -hmm. I guess I think the human heart is also involved. That's why I think King James and, uh, and new American standard do a better job here. Mm -hmm. But I admit like Matt, I don't want to die in the hill. I guess it's up to you as a listener to think about this and pray about it and see what, but ultimately mm -hmm. I do agree with Matt. There are angelic forces here involved in the text, whatever way it's interpreted. I, I would just see it as a sub point where Matt would see it as the main point. But yeah. Um all right. So I know originally that you guys thought we were going to get to verse 15. Well, even, but even we're gonna nine for Pete's sake. <laughs> yes, but but we're uh, already past an hour. Yeah, um, just a little bit. Though. So as much <laughs> So as much as I hate to break the discussion, why don't we uh, try to wrap everything up? Yeah, uh, and I think we're in a good shape. I suggest next time, of course, we probably should talk about this after the podcast, but that we just dive back into verse 9 through 15. There's so much left. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I guess Matt and I both, I guess, thought maybe we would get faster through 6 or 8. But I think that 6 through 8 are very critical to understanding what comes next. In other words, why are we talking so much about Christ and the rebirth and all these things and why uh, the Jewish tradition that he talks about all that stuff. I really think that six or eight set the table for that or, or give you an idea why we're going that direction. Why are we emphasizing Christ again? We, as Matt said, we already emphasized Christ in chapter one. Why again? But other than the fact that the Lord's yeah. worthy, why in this text are we emphasizing him and why are we emphasizing right. our spiritual connection to Christ? And if you think about it, that's what we'll be talking about next time. I, I guess, I guess, believer, maybe you think that you are insufficient and you're confused. And I mean, if you have social media, you see all kinds of different ideas. And really, in some ways, I don't know if I remember an election cycle where both sides, like I remember an election cycle where people were saying similar things. And you were worried about whether they actually meant it or not, or, or what twist they had on it. You know, like, um, mm -hmm. like George W. Bush or Obama would say this and like a leftist would say, Oh, but what does he mean that? Or I would listen to something Obama said and I'm like, Oh, but I don't think he actually means that where I, you know, literally you have contradictory things being said yeah. literally. So we're getting more polarized as a country. Uh, worldly philosophies are becoming more militant uh, you're even getting worldly philosophy pastors on YouTube who literally will battle for your your side of the philosophy. You know, and whatever philosophy you want to argue for, it's all over the place. Whatever you want to argue for, and I think it's important to come back to look. Christ is superior, and we Christians can't get distracted for the supremacy of Christ in our lives. And even see ourselves as unworthy compared to what the world's doing. The world loves to put us down. The world loves to put the Bible down, but there's no idea what it's talking about. It couldn't be more wrong. Hmm. Your closing thoughts, Matthew? 
<laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I think Paul is really, I think, doing a good job. And I think I, I do think we need to keep it in mind that so often we, we, we get in our heads, okay, I know this or that, and, and we kind of move on. But Paul is, is trying to remind us that the foundation of Christ isn't just honestly the foundation, but he remains our all. Mm. Um, that as we continue in our Christian walk, if Christ doesn't remain our center, it doesn't matter how well we started off, we're going to we're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to, if Christ doesn't remain center, there is going to be problems there. And so when we might be reading or you might be reading this and thinking, man, okay, I got your point, Paul. Um, Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is wonderful. Paul is saying, well, I don't know if you really got my point, if you're getting tired of it already. Mm. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Like, we just automatically say, oh, yeah, Jesus is everything to me. But I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, I know I keep bringing up the seven letters of the churches, but in Revelation 2 and 3, five of the churches are really struggling with different things, and two of the churches are doing pretty well. But what's interesting to me is chapter 4, we're in the throne room of God, and who do we? Christ. You know, God, Christ. Mm -hmm. And the focus is just, wow, what a difference. We move from the stuff of this life whether a church is doing well or they're really struggling areas, suddenly we're in the throne room of God. And the whole point of our, all of our salvation and experience Christian life is there Jesus in the throne room. And I think that some Christians yeah. aren't looking forward to the throne room deep in their heart, not because they're bad or because they don't love the Lord, believe he's God, but because like you say, they, they have an intellectual assent to that information, but their heart hasn't bought into it yet. Um, yeah, they're kind of mixing human tradition with following Christ. And they're just they're not really focused on following Christ and bringing his power into their lives. And there go. They're not very happy. And uh, just all kind of bad things follow. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Adrian, why don't you close us off with a word of prayer? Sure. Oh, Father. Lord, your word is sufficient. You are sufficient. These are not platitudes that Matt and I parrot because we're pastors, and that's what we're supposed to say. Father, Matt and I certainly didn't want anyone to get the idea we didn't like Sunday school. Father, when I was a kid, some of the basic things I was taught in Sunday school, when my Sunday school teacher was a little five-year-old or whatever, are just as true in my Christian life today. The basics, be kind to other people, love God, serve God, sing to God, these basic ideas. And like Matt said, Father, we really need to not get distracted from Christ, and nor do we need to get tired of your son. And it's a little suspicious when we do get weary of your son. I think it shows that we primarily at that point are not getting our strength from you. We're getting our strength from the world. We may love you. We may be saved, but we've gotten confused or distracted. And anyway, regardless, I pray people will be blessed by Matt and I just said, certainly we're not trying to confuse people or make them angry. And Father, I pray you give me wisdom in the days ahead as society gets more polarized and more angry. And I get tempted to get sucked into that. I see things that make me angry. I see things that enrage me sometimes. I need to, Father, keep your word in mind. I need to keep you in mind. And I need to be careful. I don't get ensnared by a worldly philosophy. 
because I don't know that spiritual maturity has anything to do with getting ensnared by worldly philosophy because I've been brought up in American culture, which means, you know, I'm, I'm part of it. And whether people are against or for it, it's, it's what people are raging about today. And Father, I need to be careful that ultimately Jesus is the center of who I'm all about. Because in heaven, I don't think I'm going to be too worried about many of the things we're arguing about today. <laughs> in the throne room, I, I don't think I'm going to be talking about those things. So just be with people and bless them and help them to deepen their knowledge in the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Biblioscola. We hope you continue to express the desire to know more of God and His Word. Please leave a comment if you have any questions on the discussion in this episode. Our desire is to educate and not sow confusion. This is a production of the Prattsburg Baptist Church and the Austinburg Baptist Church. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.